You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Good morning. I'm Fred, if I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here at iLife. I always never know, do I just talk over that music, that little kind of in the background stuff? I think I do. I think I just start right in. Uh, if you haven't been here in a while, I want to catch you up. Russ kind of showed you we're in the middle of a sermon series, been weaving in and out of it, the Sermon on the Mount, kind of all year long, right? And this morning, we're going to get into it. We're going to get headlong into a passage about work, our money, our possessions, just kind of the whole, the whole enchilada uh, in five verses, okay? And so I know, though, that, that money, particularly for Josh Atkins, I was teasing him this morning, it's a very sensitive subject. I see Josh. I like to pick on him. Uh, but it can be private. It can feel like something that a lot of people just have this weird relationship with. Like, oh, we don't, we don't talk about that. That's nobody's business, right? And I wish it wasn't. I wish it, it wasn't something that we kept so private. When you read Jesus, he talks about it a lot. It's just out there all the time with all kinds of different people. And so we have an opportunity to jump into it. And I thought, you know, I better ease us into it, though. And so I created kind of a, as kind of a custom-made financial diagnostic tool here that, that I thought of this week. We're going to call it the Chipotle spreadsheet spectrum of financial generosity. And here's kind of how it works, right? It's two pictures of financial generosity that kind of push and pull at us as we kind of shape our convictions about this stuff. Okay, and so I'm going to kind of introduce the Chipotle side first in in, in just a minute here. The Chipotle side is uh, kind of like, okay, you know the topic's going to be about money. You come to church or you go to an event on campus that's maybe a fundraiser. It's about some cause. And about halfway through, like, you know what's coming, right? You can just kind of see it. They are going to ask you for your Chipotle money at the end of the thing. And you are going to be hungry that afternoon, right? And they're going to say, if you guys would just give your Chipotle money to this, then we can give X amount of money to this cause. And I think that's great. You know, when I, when I go and I fundraise, like we fundraise outside of Illini Life a lot. I talk to people and they're like, oh, college students, you know, they're always saying they're poor, but they got, they got money. They got, they're always going every week. You know, hey, have you guys ever thought about asking them to give their lunch money to the church or like, you know, to, 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 the, to some cause to the poor? And I'm like, no, I've never, never thought of that. That's, that's an amazing idea. I kind of feel bad for you guys at some level because I've heard it so many times. And I think there's something good about it, okay? I've seen it a lot. I want to just kind of diffuse any anxiety you have. I'm not going to make this thing kind of crescendo into an appeal for your lunch today, okay? That's not where this is going, but there's something good about this side of the spectrum. It is spontaneous, and it comes from like just a sacrificial heart. We, it is based in reality, right? We do have a lot, and so it's good for us to feel those things, to be aware of that, but sometimes I just scratch my head like, why does everybody think that the answer is for you guys to give up your Chipotle. And so I want to introduce the other side of the spectrum, and it's the spreadsheet kind of side of generosity. And this is, this is the person that, that maybe you kind of picture someone, they got their glasses on, they're pouring over their laptop, they got their coffee, and they know where every penny's going, right? They know where every cent of their income is going. And there's a part of us that maybe thinks like, well, that's kind of, that's kind of boring, right? I don't know if I like that. That doesn't seem like there's a lot of my heart engaged in that. But at the same time, I just pause and I say, you know what, there's actually something very powerful about this side of the generosity spectrum as well. Right? I went to um, Service Over Self. We talked about spring break, and there's a group of people going to Memphis working with Service Over Self. 
the spring break. When I first went there, it was about 10 years ago. And they brought in uh, a guy that was a speaker for the week. He was like their chapel speaker. And he told us his story, just what, how God used him. And he, he comes up and shares, he used to be a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch, okay? And he was really good at his job, right? He had a great sense of like personal finances as well as financial markets. And so some of the wealthiest people in Memphis, Tennessee, they trusted him with their money. And so by, as a function of that, he was one of the best paid kind of financial reps uh, Merrill Lynch had in the city of Memphis, but this guy was also a very committed Christian. And so his family, and he and his family in their heart and on their spreadsheet, just matter-of-factly, they had decided that they were going to live on $60,000. That's what they felt like they could faithfully live on as a family. And no matter how much more came in, they were going to give that away in the course of the year. And so at points in this guy's career, his salary was, it was in excess of $440,000 a year. And, and you guys can do the math there, but it was that kind of generosity and that intentional giving that helped SOS kind of buy a facility and really, you know, be equipped to, gosh, renovate the homes of hundreds of people in some of the poorest neighborhoods in Memphis, right? And there's just an incredible legacy that that group has had, and it's touched people all over our country. And so I hold up these two pictures, right, of of kind of how generosity can look at times, because I think these are the things that kind of push and pull at us. They they throw us around a little bit, right? I, I don't I know they're both good, but I don't know exactly where I want to land on that spectrum all the time. And I think when we read like the words of Jesus, the same thing happens, right? We get pushed around a little bit. It kind of tosses us around. Like, is it, it just makes us ask tons of questions. Like, what is okay in God's eyes? How much is okay? Can I have savings? What if I have an emergency, right? What if I have debt? And we kind of push back at a lot of Jesus' words. We don't know quite how to make them land in our life. And so I just want you to keep that all in your mind, kind of your own situation perhaps, in your mind as we get into this. And I'm going to keep it really simple, right? If we just kind of lump them together, we just want to start to dig in to the Sermon on the Mount and ask, what does God actually expect? What's he asking when it comes to money? Why does he seem to make such a big deal out of it in so many places in Scripture? Right? And then I want us to be practical, too, not just kind of talk in theory, but what would it actually look like to not just kind of meander through a couple of good ideas about finances and actually start to see some practices in our life that resemble the generosity of God, of our God. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew 6, verse 19, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. As we read through it, Jesus is going to open up a bunch of tensions, right? He's going to say, like, you've all felt this at some point. Here's how it works, right? He's going to kind of blast us with these one-liners that stick, and they're very memorable. And so we're going to pay attention to those and take those seriously. And then we're going to see, okay, how does that translate? Are there real practices that I can do today? And you're going to get three practices that you could do today if you really wanted. So I'm going to jump right in. Here we go, all right? If you're looking for those things, here's where it starts. It says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I love that we get to use vermin. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll just take this little section as a start. Okay, Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. He's exploring this tension that I guarantee you 
all of us has felt because this is where we live and just kind of work and breathe and go to school, right? It's this kind of thing where we just assume naturally that, that we are going to accumulate stuff. We're going to work, we're going to buy stuff, we're going to get stuff, right? It's, it's very easy, it's very tempting to accumulate in this life. And we do it for a lot of reasons. It's not like, gosh, if you, you, know, if you, if you have things that you're just a greedy person, a lot of it's just sometimes it's security, Right? I need a little bank in my bank account so I know that tomorrow's going to be all right. Sometimes it is, though. It's, it's image. Right? We can call it what it is. We like nice things. We like people to notice that we have nice things. It's all there, right? Like This is why people drive $80,000 Range Rovers to navigate the hills of Champaign-Urbana. You see it all the time, every week, walking on campus. But, and, we, and we make fun of that, and I do. It's the same reason why we care about the logo that's on our shirt, right? why we care about how much curb appeal our house has, right? the name on our cell phone. It all kind of comes from roughly the same place. And advertisers know it. They know that these forces are incredibly powerful, that branding is incredibly powerful in our lives. And so if you felt those things of, this makes me feel powerful or secure or important or this is pleasurable, like that's normal. Right? Those, you're not weird. You're not some weird, awful person. That is where we live and breathe, and those things are very real forces. And what Jesus speaks into it, right, is a principle, is really a warning. And he basically says, watch out, be careful. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Your heart is going to follow what you give your time to, what you give your attention to what you give your desire to, what you long after, right? And so if it's about, man, I can't wait till I get the Acura, or it's always about the exotic vacation, God says, like, that's, that's fine. Those things are really nice, but you are made for a lot more than that. Watch out. Be careful what you set your heart on. And I think throughout this passage, there's going to be that little lawyer in our head Right? That's always like, hold on a minute, Fred. Hold on. Hold on. I got some questions. I have some objections, actually. I'm going to pound the table. Jesus, don't store up treasure in heaven. I'm sorry. Don't store up treasure on earth. Do store up treasure in heaven. Don't store up treasure on earth. How far does that go? Right? How literally can we take that? Does that mean I can't have any savings? Does that mean we shouldn't save for retirement? What happens, Jesus, if you have an emergency or like branding, right? We already know what we think there. Oh, but those things are tools, too. We need some of those to kind of do our, our work and our life. Right? We have it all kind of worked out. I do. I have a very loud lawyer inside of my head that kind of asks all of those questions. Okay? And I think they're fair. I think they're very fair questions. And I just want to take this back. One thing that you're going to hear me say a lot today is that it's not a formula. It's not about this financial formula. These sort of. It's not about math. It's about our heart. Okay, and so if we're trying to apply a formula to something that Jesus is not getting yet, we're always going to smack into these sort of arguments with ourselves. Okay, and so to kind of speak to our objections, is Jesus trying to establish some baseline like here is the exact amount you can have in your checking account, and if you surpass that, you're in trouble with God? Not what he's doing. He's not saying, you know, branding. Okay, he's not saying every Christian must shop at Aldi. That's. Actually, all these are pretty great, though. That's not, it's not in the Bible, but that is free advice. And it is pretty, 
He's, it's, it's not this, this, we, we want to apply this formula to Jesus that just isn't there. And when we read these things about treasure in heaven, what we need to do is we need to read Jesus through himself, through the point that he's trying to make. And it's right there in verse 21. It's, it's about your heart. It's for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's concerned with what has our heart. Do these things have our heart? It's not how much is in your checking account, but can you check your heart accurately and honestly with yourself? And so I know the big temptation for me, the big temptation for all of this is like, just a heart thing. Good. (laughs) Woo, close one. (laughs) And I don't want to let us off the hook that easily, right? I, I don't think our stuff is neutral. And neither does Jesus. I think he knows that our stuff is powerful. And, and actually, the response of a lot of Christians throughout history has been like, I can't do this. I can't live in this culture. I need to sell my possessions and go and give that away. And, and, and this is how a lot of monasteries were formed, right? These communities that learned to depend on one another, that's, that, that was their answer. And I'm not going to like discount that. I'm not going to bash that. That's, that's readily available to you if you, if you feel called do that, but I do want to speak into your objections because I just know that's not where a lot of us are going to go. That's not what I've chosen. I think when you look at the Scriptures, honestly, and you always got to read the Scriptures as, as a whole, right? You see a ton of places where there are very legitimate, wise uses of money and wealth and property, right? And so taking care of your family, taking care of yourself, showing hospitality, these things are they're all in view, like in Thessalonians and Timothy. It's all in view that we would take care of our, our families and provide for them, even into our old age, right, when we can't work with the same rate and the same sort of uh, income, right? Or widows, providing for, for widows, our family members, when we're not there. We see the church and Christians called to give money, property, like to help those in need, both inside the church and outside the church. We see giving to the work of of God here locally through the local church and also just in in terms of global missions, right? To see the gospel message go forth all over the world. That's a very legitimate use of wealth and money. It's a great tool. It's not a good master. It's something that we're going to see later, okay? And so all that stuff is in view when we're talking about this this kind of practice of, of watching our heart, guarding our heart about what has our attention and our value and our focus. And so the practice, I want each of these things to kind of land at a practice that like, wow, yeah, that is that pushes back into this sort of pressure and temptation I feel with money. And the practice I want to hold out is that we would do exactly what it says, that we would learn to treasure what lasts. That we learn to treasure what's eternal. And I think that happens in a lot of ways. We just pay attention to, wow, my heart matters. I've got to get my heart engaged. So, yeah, sure, give your money. That, that is an excellent step. But also, do you give your time, right? Do you give your energy? Do you give your passion, your focus? Because when you do that, right, your heart follows it. And this is why I would say, like, what gets you out of bed in the morning, right? When it's about the things that the church cares about, it's like, wow, my heart breaks for people who don't know Christ, like, our heart's going to follow that. Our giving's going to follow that. When we go on missions trips and we rub shoulders for a week with the materially poor, right? We get it. Our hearts follow it. Our sweat kind of sets the pace for us. And the giving starts to come naturally. 
we've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to keep moving. I'm just going to give these practices to you. And you can ask me about them at any point. Okay, verse 22 is next in this next section. It feels like it comes out of nowhere. I promise you it, it really does relate. But here we go. Okay, he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's a, it's a strange little section. It seems very like metaphorical and, and kind of hard to, to grasp. Why is that even here? I've probably read a half dozen interpretations of, of that you know, in the last couple of weeks. And, and honestly, they're all in the same ballpark. Nothing takes us into this crazy thing you wouldn't expect. It's all about just what's our relationship to money. Are our eyes able to focus on what God values? Are our priorities right before God? And most scholars kind of look at it and they think that it's, it's idioms, right? Jesus is using idiomatic language. And so when we say like, man, it's raining cats and dogs outside, or that person, they got their ducks in a row, like, there's no animals involved in what we're conveying, and we all get that, right? And so we think the same thing's happening here with, with Jesus as he's talking. Here's how, uh, this is an article by Mike Holmes. Here's a kind of a quote that I think kind of gets at the heart of it. I'll read it to you. Just There it is. Yeah, the term evil eye is a Jewish term, whereas a good eye in Judaism refers to goodwill, benevolence, and being genuinely happy when others prosper. The evil eye is the opposite. The person with an evil eye feels distressed when others prosper, rejoices when they suffer, loves their money, and would do nothing in the way of charity. So when Jesus spoke about the eye, he was speaking to a largely Jewish audience, and they knew what he was talking about. They knew that a good eye was a generous person, and an evil eye was a stingy, sour Scrooge, because the truth is that giving is a heart issue and not a money issue. And I think that last line kind of nails it. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. And that's why Jesus speaks so much about the heart and drops it right in there into his little verses about money. You see, having that that good eye is the person that, that is able to look at who God is and how he acts and say, like, that is good. It is good to give. See, the, the, the gospel doesn't make good financial sense, right? You look at God's economy of grace. You look at God's budget. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. He gives to us what we do not earn, right? What we do not merit. That's at the heart of who God is. And if you can see the value in that, if you can see the goodness in that, you got the good eye, then generosity makes sense. But if you can't, that's an unhealthy eye. Giving's not a lot of fun. Generosity doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't feel real good. We get that heart condition that's the same as Scrooge. And here's the thing, like when the rubber meets the road, right? Everyone kind of thinks like, oh, yeah, it, it, I got the good eye, right? I, I, I like giving. I'm generous. I'm a generous person. I value that stuff, right? I give the things. And it's true. Like when you look at the hard data, the tax return data, there's a lot of kind of think tanks and stuff that, that track this stuff. And they send out annual reports about uh, where Americans are at, where the church is at. And then here's, here's kind of how they'd say it, right? They'd say like, okay, I'm going to bring up the numbers here. It's, it's only 13% of people that gave to nothing last year, okay? 
So about 87% of people are like, oh yeah, I give to charity, I, I value that. But of the people that gave, half of those people only gave a couple of hundred bucks in a year. It wasn't a very large amount. So these are people that filed a tax return, right? They had an income and they filed a tax return. On average, Americans gave 2% of their income. When you narrow it down to Christians, 2.5. Yeah. During the Great Depression, we gave 3.3%, Right? And so the, the wealth of our nation and our generosity, it just is not that impressive. You've heard of tithing, giving 10% of our income, of our financial increase back to God, to the work of God. It's only about 12% of Christians that actually are practicing that. I know we can look at that and say like, oh, that's statistics. You know, there's always big data, big trends that now there's big income gap. And I think that stuff's all true. I think at the end of the day, it's really just a kind of a mindset that's very natural that like, yeah, if I have leftover, I'll give that, right? We give out of what's left, out of what we think we can afford. And what I would say, and I would say you find in the scriptures, we're not going to do like an exhaustive Bible study on how to find this. You can read books about this, but what I would say you find here really turns that practice on its head, right? And say the way to be generous, the way that's really life-giving is to give to God first, right? And so that's a practice that I just want to put in our hearts and our minds is that we would give to God first, not out of the leftovers. And if you're a student and you're like, man, I'm going to be working. I have no idea how to handle money. Go get a book. Go get like a Christian book. Your money counts. I could recommend some of these things to you and, and give it a read. And they're all going to say, tell you the same thing in this area. Okay, it's that when you make your budget giving, what you want to give, it should be the first thing that you're excited to do is that whatever God brings in, that we give it back with joy and gratitude and obedience. And that is going to bring life to our financial world, right? And kind of guide our way. I know along the way, I just kind of feel like as I was writing this, I got to stop. I got to acknowledge the objections. I got to acknowledge that little lawyer in our head that's like, you know what? That sounds like rules. That sounds like legalism, or there's a huge objection in our culture, right? Isn't it self-serving when the church talks about money? A lot of people feel that. And here's what I would say. Here's one of the things I really enjoy about Alana Life is that we kind of, for the most part, get to talk to you guys at a stage of life before like the paycheck's coming in, <laughs> before that income is there. And, and, and there's something exciting about that because like as, as campus staff, as pastors, as a staff team, it's a very, very very small percentage of our salary that comes from Alana Life. We try and give a little bit, but it's like, if you guys start giving tomorrow, I'm not going to go buy a Ferrari, okay? It's just not going to happen. And we know, and one of the things that we celebrate is, is that we get to talk to you at this point, and, and you're likely going to move to another place, feel sent to another place in life because that's what your job is. And you're going to give to other churches, other ministries, other things that you care about, and we think that's an amazing part of what we get to envision you to do and equip you with. Okay, and so as I was talking to you guys this week, I wanted to hear the objections, but I also want to hear like the practical questions. And one of the practical questions I got was like, okay, sure, that's how you budget, but but like how much? Right? Isn't that kind of the magic, not like magic question, how much am I supposed to do? How much is generous? And I will give you Maybe an unsatisfying answer, but I'll give you a true answer in two parts. Okay, Part one, it's all God's. 
right? This thing teaches that everything you have, everything you think you work for, it all belongs to God. It's on loan to you. We're stewards of it. We can't take it with us. That's where the Bible would take us. It's like, hey, whatever number you come up with, that's, that's fine. But it all belongs to God. And so you respond appropriately. And then so my, my kind of part one of the answer is, I will not tell you the amount that you have to do. I will not go check your bank, exta- bank statement. I am not interested in judging you. Okay? I do not want to police this. Part two is that when you look at the pattern of Scripture and you look back at the examples of, of God's people, you see this, this kind of uh, concept of tithing, 10% of our financial increase that's put out there regularly, right? Starting way back from like Abraham, right? As he responded to God's increasing his kind of finances, he gave that back as an expression of gratitude to God. And so you see this concept of tithing, 10% and tithe. Tithe is not like a synonym for, oh, I give, so I tithe, right? Tithe literally derives from like a tenth. It means a tenth of our financial increase going back to the work of the local church for Christians, right? And so, honestly, this means like if I won the lottery, like I would, we'd tithe a tenth of that back. And, and then when I direct deposit my paycheck to my bank account, a tithe, right, would be a tenth of my, my income, my regular stuff and the kind of above and beyond. And the pattern that you see in the scriptures is, is the tithe is given, and then from that, over and above that, is just offerings. Offerings are just out of gratitude. Wow, God, this is all God's anyway. I get to be a part of it. I get to give it back to God. I get to invest in what's eternal is really the attitude here. And I think that, that theologically, I did want to be clear about something for just a, just a moment here. That when you look at the Bible, if we're going to accurately talk about this, right? Like in the Old Testament for Israel, for them, it was, it was law, right? It was a rule. And it was what, what God asked to them. For us as Christians, like it's, it's not a law. It's not a rule, a legal requirement. It is a principle, and I won't teach it to you another way. Right? God is not going to smite you if I find out you're not hitting that 10% figure at some point in your life. But when the Bible talks about a tithe, it is not this like radical, crazy, extreme figure. The radical, crazy, extreme is, is this mindset. Of, it's all God's. 100% of it is God's, right? The tithe is just the normal language of what's put out there. And what it boils down to for us, for you, for me, is this. It's that we don't have to give. We get to give. Right? We don't have to give. We get to give. We get to follow Christ by faith, invest our treasures in what will last. And that's the adventure of it. That's the joy of it, right? And I wouldn't back down from just inviting you to do that. Objection, right? The lawyer's back, and you're all sitting here, and you're students, and you're like, I don't got a job. I don't got a regular income. I had summer earnings, or I got this thing called student debt. Maybe you've heard of it. It's terrible, right? And you're all feeling that, and you're all feeling that inside. That's, I get it. It's really hard, right? That's just, it's always going to be sort of that thing in the background that we're thinking about, and I totally get that, that that colors the picture for you. Right? And here's what I would say. I just wanted to be as practical as I can. This is not a math problem. Right? It's about our hearts aligning with God's heart. And so I'll just tell you, just live it out in faith and get in the game. Get, 
engage your heart. Start to pull your practices in line with what you think God prioritizes. So I would encourage you to begin this practice. And I will not pick a number for you. Right? I leave that between you and God. But if you desire to give back to God, which is a good desire as an expression of like, you know what? God is my provider, not this future job that I'm banking on. Right? Then you're in a good place before God. And I do not think you're going to regret that. Right? And so that's what I would encourage you with is you take it up with God and you go ahead. Go ahead and pick an amount and just start to do it. Start to incorporate that practice. And what happens and what we see in the scriptures that God says that the person who can be entrusted with a little, right? I know that, that they have that character that they can be entrusted with much. It's easier now when those checks are smaller, right? If the heart's already there. I'm going to keep kind of cruising here. We got, we got a little bit more ground to cover, okay? And so I'm going to get into the last verse here, and it's about who our master is. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I'm just going to cut to the chase with this real quick, okay? We all read that, and we're like, yeah, nice, nice one, Jesus. Like, but, I, you know, come on. I'm not, I'm not a fool. I don't want to be a slave to money, right? I know that's bad. But the thing about money is it's not real, like, obvious. It doesn't jump out and say, like, come be my slave. No, it's sneaky, right? If I had to personify it, here's how it works, right? It's not, it's not that. It's not this, like, scary three-headed monster that's like, I'm a cruel master. I'm going to wreck your life if you get in trouble with money, right? It's attractive. Like, it's really alluring. We kind of get drawn in slowly, like, yeah, no big deal. And we start to accumulate financial problems. And then we're trapped. And then we find out it's not that fun. Right? We get stuck. I mean, something happens between the time that we read <laughs> Matthew 6, and we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's, that's great. No, can't serve God in money. And then we walk out the door, and we see something shiny. And we're like, oh, that sounds nice. Right, for a lot of people, like money, right? It, when it has mastery in our life, it, it has a name. And maybe the name is greed and, and, and we kind of go down those roads. But maybe, and for most people, I think that the master's name is debt. Debt. We get in trouble because we, we've chased after things. Let's be real about this for a second here. I want to bring up the next one. It's a... Uh, it's about where debt is at in America in 2016. Okay, sort of the averages here. This is from nerdwallet.com. There it is, credit card debt, 16000 for the average, average American. Okay? Auto loans, 28000 Student loans, 49000 You can see mortgages there. This is hard. This is hard. Debt is calling the shots in a lot of people's lives. Right? As Christians, like we're called to have no master other than Jesus Christ. But when debt's calling the shots, it's like, man, well, what do you want to do with all that talent and that passion you have for X, Y, and Z thing that, that, that matters to God? And you're like, I don't know. I don't care. I just got to pay my bills. You see the billboard in your town when you're driving by. One in five kids in your neighborhood is hungry. And it's like, oh, that breaks my heart. And I think that stinks. But my visa says... Can't help. That's what it looks like when debt is calling 
the shots in our life. It's a hard master to live under. And I know this can kind of all spiral into like a discussion. Oh, but what's good debt and what's bad debt? And I don't want to get technical with it this morning. I just want to put this practice out there for you, for a line in life, for wherever God sends you in life. And it's, it's this, right? That we wouldn't let debt be our master. Be extremely cautious about debt. And what it really boils down to is living within our means. Would we live within our means? Part of why giving is good, right? When we give first is that it kind of sets a lower bar for, oh, those are my means, right? And we get to, used to living a lifestyle that, that isn't what Visa tells us we can, it isn't what your bank tells you you can. It's going to be okay if your apartment doesn't look like your parents' house for a little bit, okay? It's going it's to be fine, right? Just maybe tell that to yourself. It's, it's going to be okay if my car got some miles on it for a while. You're not missing out. You're, 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 you're missing out on slavery to debt, but wouldn't you rather be free? <laughs> I guess is really what it, what it comes down to. Okay? I don't know if there's something else I want to say about that. I think I've got to land this plane here. Okay? Yeah. I'm going to wrap it up. Guys, if, if today, like talking about money, right? If, you, if it felt like guilt-inducing or it felt heavy or, or shameful, you it's not shaming you because you have debt no no it's about realizing waking up that part of us it's like maybe i need to have a different relationship to money right and that part needs to be shaken up and and woken up in our soul and we started this whole thing of just okay what's the what's the kind of big question what does god really expect when it comes to money the way i relate to money and i don't want us to take shortcuts and so here's what i think it boils down to no it's not just about, no, no, just give spontaneously, right? It's not just about my Chipotle, and it's not just about the spreadsheet. Just doing those things will not fix it. It is about our heart. It is a heart issue. It is never a formula. So I want you to take that seriously, to take God at his word about that. But just as we sort of wrap up, I want us to think about something, just lifting our eyes off of our own situation for a second, right? Whatever you're sort of personal finances look like. I want you to consider, like, why would God give his people this instruction, right? This, this sort of exhortation, give, be free of money, be generous. Have you ever wondered what would happen if Christians, just all Christians, started to tithe? People who identify as followers of Jesus Christ. What would happen if Christians, just that little group, gave 10%, Right? went from that where it's at to just that 10% figure that we talked about. Here's what would happen. There'd be $165 billion more available for the church to use and distribute globally. You know what you could do with $165 billion? I'm going to bring it up here. $25 billion, you could relieve global hunger, starvation, death by preventable disease in five years. With $12 billion, you could eliminate illiteracy in five years. With 15, you solve the world's water and sanitation issues. Right? We're not waiting for Congress. We're not waiting for the government to do it. You could just do it. We could just do it tomorrow. We can get started. Right? In places with extreme poverty, with a billion, one billion, you could fund all the overseas missions work in the world, and you'd have like a hundred billion left over to do whatever else God put on our heart. Right? Let's pray. Jesus.